I dialed 911 a long time ago. Chris Brogan will speak for crackers and cheese whiz. <laughs> I will. I will. Um, hey, you know, I just saw the, 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 the apropos of nothing. I just saw the, the TV miniseries, The Mayor of Easttown. It's Cody Wooten's fault. He told me you should check out this miniseries. It's amazing. And it's about um, this uh, small town murder mystery. You'd like it because like murder mystery kind of whodunit. And small thing. town like where I grew up. Yeah, and and Kate Winslet uh, and several other British people go there and do this like incredible hard uh, Philadelphia uh, suburbs like Pennsylvania middle Pennsylvania accent. Mm -hmm. um, and there's um, there was a scene. This is what we're going with the cheese whiz. Um, you know, you know, squeeze cheese in a can. Um, she pops the lid off it with her mouth. She like. <laughs> And then starts spraying on the cracker. And that was her like ad lib. She said, that's how my character would probably open that. She's wicked classy. Yeah. Yeah. So anyway, Mayor of Easttown, it is totally worth seeing. It's on HBO Max. That's what our show is. We do reviews of TV shows on various streaming channels. Patrick Short is here as well. Um, Carrie, we have a vaunted guest. I'm, I couldn't be happier. This is Monday and I feel happy. That's unusual. No. How'd that happen? <laughs> so we have Rob Barnett. He's a headhunter, author, management executive, podcaster, all the things. And he's going to talk about how you can get the job you want. He's got a brand new book out. So we're going to talk about that too. But if you've been dreaming about a job, thinking maybe you don't have what it takes to go for it, he's going to tell you how to get it. We're going places today. Hi, everyone. Tim Kitzer from NBA Jam and NFL Blitz. Welcoming you to The Backpack Show, your hosts, Chris Brogan, Kerry Gargone, Boom Shakalaka. Backpack Show. I'm super excited about this. You know how there's a feline in my house that I wish weren't here? Sure do. I just heard. <laughs> I'm like, oh, I can't wait to talk to Rob. And then after clean up some biological entity off the floor. You know, just leave the door open. Cats run away all the time. The world's an imperfect place. Cats suck. <laughs> oh my God, cats suck. I fed it. I fed it like something. It had this incredible name. The, 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 you know, like when you go to a restaurant, it's like, you know, uh, Chipotle dusted something, crusted something, something food. Do. That's what the cat food said, not Chipotle or something, but it had like nine words. So it had to be so good. You're saying there's a feline invasion? Oh, whoop, whoop, whoop. Feline invasion. I repeat, we have a feline invasion. Chris, hold very still. Do not turn your head. For the love of Pete, don't turn your head. Oh, the humanity. <laughs> I think Rob needs to save us. I think Rob needs from to save us. From ourselves? Yeah, Rob Barnett is going to save us from that and having to clean so cap. The reason I was extra interested in talking to Rob today and you should bring him out is because a lot of women don't apply for jobs that they are fully qualified for because they see like one thing on a list of 150 things and think, mm, I'm not sure I'm qualified for that job or something. Whereas a guy will see like one thing on a list of 150 things and he knows to do one thing and he'll be like, I could totally do this job. There's a stat I heard that I, I've, I've over the years probably massaged into absolute inaccuracy, but it's like. Uh, women can be 94% qualified and not apply, and a man can be 11% qualified and apply. And whether or not that's true or not, that's the stat I'm going to quote. So I'm going to bring Rob out and let's ask him that question. Even vaguely close? Not really, huh? <laughs> it's a great question. It's a great point. It really is. I, I, I find that no matter who you are, 
if you're not checking most of those boxes, you're not getting interviewed. You know, it, it's just you can go for it with all the machismo in the world. But if you don't line up, I don't think you're you're getting the shot, you know. Even male, female, do you find that women are just not putting in for jobs that they would check the boxes for? Or like, does that skew at all one way or the other in your experience? Well, I, I've been on a mission this last year or so to just get people to stop rando applying to jobs completely. No more cold uploads, no more, hey, here's my resume. I feel like you got to play Sopranos. You got to get somebody, <clears throat> excuse me, to vouch for you and open that door and make it happen and say, do me a favor, talk to Carrie. You know, you got to have that. How did you discover that for yourself? Well, this whole journey for me as Headhunter Boy was a complete accident Headhunter to begin <laughs> with. I mean, I never, this was not in the playbook. I mean, if you glance at my ancient journeys on LinkedIn, I was on a path to try to make great stuff in radio and TV and film and video and all the rest of it. And, uh, and then like a lot of my friends, I hit this crazy moment uh, about three or four years ago. I got stuck. I got badly stuck. <laughs> and, uh, and, and all my wonderful outreach just wasn't working. I was being told I was overqualified or to this or to that. I used to call it the two police. Here they come, the, the TOO police marching in to bum me out with another outreach. And, and so one morning in, uh, a fit of utter frustration, I grabbed my iPhone and made a short little video about my predicament. And I said that this was not unique. There were hundreds of my friends stuck in the same boat. And why don't we at least put our heads together and start talking about this? And I uploaded it to just two places, LinkedIn and Facebook, about nine o'clock in the morning. And uh, for the first time in my life, I had a video that had way too many comments and way too many views. And so I looked at that and only had one idea at that point was, well, I better do another one and do another one. So I, I kept coming every morning like clockwork at 9 a.m. And then after about nine or 10 of these, a guy called and said, listen, I met you at MTV 100 years ago. I need a chief operating officer. Is that what this is? You're, you're a headhunter, right? I said, yes. <laughs> totally. yes i am <laughs> that's what i am and uh, that's how it started about about three years ago now can we thumbnail just a tiny bit of that ancient history can you can you walk people through just a tiny bit of your uh, bona fides here so that they can understand who we're talking to today well i i start as a rock and roll addict and a and a a, a freaking dj but a dj back at the time when you could pull one of these, play whatever you want and, you know, say whatever you want without getting fired. Right. It was really fun when I did rock radio uh, for about 10 years. Then it got unfun. And I moved over to MTV, who celebrated, scary to say out loud, their 40th, 40th. birthday yesterday. I, I wasn't there for 40 years, but I was there for 12 of the good years at MTV and at VH1, when there was a hell of a lot of rock and roll and freedom and insanity uh, going on there. That was a great run. I got back into radio uh, 
depending on how you look at it, I was both the president of CBS radio and the unlucky schmuck who had to work for Les Moonves, may he rest in hell. Uh, and, and I also had this little task. I had to replace Howard Stern when he quit radio. Went to That's Saturday. it. That's that old thing. So, so I've got, I've got scars all over my back <laughs> from those years. And then in 06, when YouTube is still a baby, in diapers, I had this little idea. Uh, we called it My Damn Channel. We ran this for 10 years, making original series, uh, comedy and music, about five or six years before Netflix and Amazon started making series. So we were, you know, in that group of about 100 companies that thought we had an idea that would someday turn into, what's it called? What's it called? Oh yeah, big, big, big bags of money. <laughs> <laughs> it didn't. It didn't. No. It didn't. But but it was one of the greatest experiences of my life, and and we had hundreds of people working for us for ten years. We ran that sucker, uh, and and then let's see. Then what happens? Then I'm almost done with my four hundred years. Audible. I worked at Audible in 2017. That had some good and some bad, but I worked with a man with a book, and the man with a book is your president, Joe Biden, and they put me in charge of marketing that book because for the first time in his life, he got a big check. You know, they 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 hired him for a three book deal, and said, "You're in charge. Go go figure out how to market that." And uh, that was a, a, a life changing experience working with our president uh whose book was about nothing shorter than turning horrible pain into life purpose and that inspired the hell out of me um uh but then they fired me uh then <laughs> then, then they had a say it with me restructuring an audible <laughs> and i was say it with me eliminated <laughs> made redundant as the brits would say yeah. So, so that's my weird ass journey. You know, yeah. I mean, uh, it's, it's been up and down and up and down, but, but now it's no more me. It's about how can I help somebody get the job that they want to get with hopefully a little less pain and suffering. We have a lot to cover in your books, but I need a little bit more Rob Barnett Cheeto dust on my fingers. I don't feel like <laughs> I've eaten enough. Okay. I need to put a little yellow highlighter on this. Johnny Rotten, RuPaul, Bruce Springsteen, you did work. Like you worked with some cool dudes and, and, and like, um, I'm trying to think there was a, there was another highlight in your career that I also thought was kind of cool. I mean, you've touched Replacing some... Howard Stern. Well, I mean, that's, see, I feel like in a way that'd be the best because no matter what you do, they're going to be like, well, I had this singular idea as a kid, you know, the idea was that if these are the most inspiring people in the world and I worship the work and the art that they create, then I just wanted to work for them, you know, with them. And, and uh, that was always my journey. I just felt like in show business, just like any other business, the suits usually suck. And I felt like my mission was to get in there and somehow protect these artists from the suits. And that, that actually became the idea of My Damn Channel. We, we hired A-list talent and gave them no notes. And we gave them money. We didn't say rev share. We said, we're going to pay you a lot of money. And since we've hired you to be great, we're going to ask you to be great. And we're not going to 
rewrite your comedy. We're not gonna we're not gonna ask you to be funnier. We're just gonna take your stuff and say thanks. Oh, that's like so perfect that, that was for always the, the mission with talent, you know. <laughs> say again. So that's perfect for the Chris Brogan. Here's a bag of money. Go do you. Yeah, do go do thing. what you do. <laughs> right? Because hiring is the big decision, right? And then if you hire somebody, protect them. <laughs> right. Right. Clear, clear the way so that they have the opportunity to execute in the way that you kind of assume they would once you hired them. And guess what? They might actually make a few mistakes and then you don't have to uh, kill them. <laughs> There's a lot to you. We're looking Almost through. Guaranteed. Uh, one thought I wanted to talk about, I want to talk about the book, of course. I mean, we have so much we want to talk about. There's people here who are in between jobs, looking for jobs, thinking about things and all that. But putting this down into a book is a really different experience than all you've done. You've done so much execution. You've done so much bringing other people's stuff out. Uh, you've developed a lot of other people. It's different when it's your human skull on the box. It's different when it's you having to, to like really stand up for your ideas and all that. And I imagine partly the podcast hosting got you there, but like, how do you feel now that you've made that pivot into the, you're, you're in the front row, not the back row. I honestly have to say, and I know, Chris, He's that you've done, what, nine and ten technically. Ten on the way. It, it was the hardest. I swear to you, I've done a lot of stuff. I've done a lot of television. I've done film. This was the hardest thing to do. And, and it would have been impossible had I not found uh, a, a magician named Lisa Fitzpatrick. I found someone, I didn't even know what these words meant till I learned them, a developmental editor, a, a person with the chops and the experience to be able to really care about me enough to take these ideas and help me understand the structure of a book. I had no idea how to do that, let alone edit it so that the ideas that make sense only in my mind end up making sense in your minds. She was just invaluable. I, I recommend her to anybody who's never written a book as this first superhero that you would need to teach you structure. And, and uh, it was tremendous. And then it was a COVID survival mission, honestly. My, my way of not losing my mind was that we woke up at four o'clock in the morning every single morning and wrote till about eight before starting our other lives and our other jobs. And you think we like there's hard. more people involved. Really was. I was I was <laughs> naive at as to how hard it was, but I think most first time authors probably say that. I don't but know. when you say we, it's you. Like you're doing it. Just you. Yeah, I wrote it, but she she helped me so much. So yeah, that's big picture major surgery type stuff. The developmental editing is like just get the whole thing and rework it and move things around and all that kind of stuff. Definitely valuable. So what are people doing wrong? Like if there was one simple thing that you could get people to stop doing that would lead to their greater success, what would it be? The one thing most people do wrong is there's a belief that if I can show you three or four or five potential jobs that I can fill at the top of my LinkedIn, I call it butcher, baker, candlestick maker. In, in that idea, I've increased my odds threefold by saying, 
I'm a writer, a producer, an editor, a development, a shoe salesman, you know, <clears throat> and, and people are afraid that if they do the one thing we advise in the book, which is to pick the one thing, tell me exactly who you are. People are afraid that if they do that, they've hurt their odds, right? Well, I could have been a roofer and a, and a backpacker and a, and a baker. You know, I could have done all these things. I just know that a company is interested at that moment when the roof is leaking, they need a roofer. They don't need anybody else. And the person that's going to get hired is the person that looks the most like the specialist and the least like a Swiss army knife. Yeah, that's my whole career. You just summed up, Rob. <laughs> you just summed up and it's utterly true. It took all the way to the pandemic. It took all the way to I'm 51. Uh, it took all this time to come and, and, and land on that opinion. Um, and I'm and I'm still not there. There's still some hyphens in my LinkedIn profile. Um, but as I'm as I'm listening to you, I'm hearing you and I'm feeling it. And and, and you know, in my world, when I'm starting to look out for talent and I'm trying to collect people for this organization that I'm helping out, I really don't want a multi-hyphenate person. I spent my whole life doing that. Um, how do Johnny Rotten? I can't, I just keep coming back to Johnny Rotten in my head. <laughs> Let's I, talk I, about him. <laughs> anger is an energy like pill. Uh, you know, I love pill. John Lydon. I love him. In the new his new book, which is called Anger is an Energy, I get one line. The line says. Rob Barnett was very good fun. <laughs> and, uh, and so it, it, it's the, uh, let's see, it's the mid nineties, let's say roughly, I know that's the decade. And a friend of mine is working with John and asks if I want to meet him. And I said, more than anything. And, and at the time I'm working at VH1 and we go out to some meal uh, a meal with John uh, involves lots of drinks, more drinks than you can possibly imagine, lots of food, and many, many, many hours. And I had a mission at that meeting, not just to meet him. I thought I'd like to talk him into hosting his first ever television show. That would be a good idea. <laughs> and so I can't remember how many years it took, but let's just say it might have taken a couple of years and 80 zillion dollars in what used to be called uh, expenses when companies gave you these big expense reports. Mm. And I talked them into doing a show that we created together with my friend George Gimark, and we simply called it Rotten Television. <laughs> and we took the piss out of everything <laughs> for a few years. Um, brilliant madman, a brilliant madman. You know, he, here's one thing John taught me which is so funny because here I am humping a book, right? And interviewing and interviewing and interviewing and saying, yeah, get my book. John once said that if you want to get the most press ever, turn down all interviews. Every time there's an interview request, say no and say no over a long period of time so that when you finally say yes, it's news. <laughs> Some real JD Salander shit right there. <laughs> yep. I get it. Oh my gosh. Rob, we have like 8,004 questions, but we also have six ads. So I'm going to stick you backstage. Let's do ads. All right. Pee if you have to. Catch you in 60 seconds. <laughs> he probably could have helped us. <laughs> Help us pee? I missed it. Oh, no, read the ads? No, we'll oh, do the ads, yeah. you weirdo. No, that would have been awkward. You're very good fun. 
Rob is? Oh, my God. No, please. you are. Oh, me? My yeah. book is very good. You know, so much so you could have a show. Hey, would you like to have your own video show? You could have sure would. StreamYard. You can make a show this easy. See Broken on Me slash StreamYard. It is kick-ass. John Rock could make rotten television in five and a half minutes. Doesn't even need an expense report. Hey, would you like a podcast? You could have one. And if you want a podcast, there's a great host out there now, castos.com. Castos is super easy to set up. I've used the number one competitor in the world of theirs for 15 or more years. And then mm -hmm. I just went over to Castos like, boop, boop, oh, it's set up. And then I was suddenly up and running again. Oh, Nothing yeah. It was it. a process the old way. It's so much easier using castos.com. They host your podcast files and syndicate them all the places for you. Yeah. Hey, what would you <laughs> like to do with a dot online domain? Think about <laughs> rotten dot online um so you can, you can have one for just really? one buck if you use the code chris all caps when you get your dot online domain yeah type my whole name oh um hey we're sticking it to the man you don't need to google anymore you can use <laughs> presearch.com presearch.com is a competitor to google and it was made by a guy colin pape who is getting smeared by google and, and crushed in the in the this is basically just switch to presearch.com you'll like you'll like it. just switch don't forget to log in because you get crypto rewards i just looked up johnny Lydon's book on it and it just popped right up and i forgot to log in so i didn't get any rewards my friend mitch jackson was very kind enough to sponsor the show and um he hadn't seen our reads before so he thought i was going to um, do this other kind of read. But look, you can go to streaming.lawyer. Mitch is California's number one leading trial attorney. If you're stuck in any way in California, this is your guy. He is such a go-to guy. But more so, he also has all this cool bleeding edge media technology and skill and knowledge. He's like the kind of guy who had Google Glass the first week. He's had drones. He's had all this stuff way ahead of everybody else. When when everybody's just figuring out the metaverse, Mitch is going to be there. Streaming and that's like regular people. Never mind lawyers. Like lawyers right. are like a solid decade behind. That's right. Oh my <laughs> gosh. They still have like adding machines. So he's ahead of all of them. Maybe an abacus. An abacus. Um, let's grab us a let's grab us a Rob Barnett. We still have so many questions. I think. Um, I, I got it. Okay. Um, so let's clean up a LinkedIn profile or two, Rob. What what are, what are people putting in <laughs> Show there? Show them your LinkedIn didn't? profile, Chris. No. Um, <laughs> oh what my are, God! I'll put. You want me to? Go, I can go, perform let's do one. It. It'll Hi. be great. I have 18 years of experience and a proven track record of success with a demonstrated history of oral and written communication skills. I have that. <laughs> well, well done and accurate. Um, people, Can you hire write them, me people write them as if it's like a deposition or something. I'll go What's, get your LinkedIn, Chris. I'll do it. Don't do it. What's your big advice? <clears throat> write like a human being. Don't, don't copy everyone else's crap ass LinkedIn and everyone's resume. And, and here's another one. Don't assume that by dropping in 17 buzzwords like algorithm, <laughs> that, that, that you're going to be found by a robot, you know, and, and moved from resume 879 in the pile up to resume 147. People are obsessed with writing everyone else's version of a resume and a cover letter. I want people to sound like who they are in that about section. I think you should believe that you are interviewing for that job and speaking directly to the person who's going to hire you. Talk to them, you know, be who you are and, and really work on replacing every generic idea 
with the most specific, powerful accomplishments that you've got. Nobody wants to know that you coordinate with other departments <laughs> and that you're a liaison to sales and you know that you you're in meetings. People want to actually know what you've done in the most succinct bullet points possible. You've got to you've got to show the proof that you've accomplished something and there's just no reason to talk about the table stakes. Is it possible to go too far the other way and have too much detail, like how big a budget you managed or like, like how much is too much? What's the fine? I've balance? got a little mathematical theory on it. You know, my theory is that if you've worked at a place for say six years, split that in half, give me three of the standout achievements you've done there. Just three, keep it real tight because that's the other thing, you know, how do you feel when you open up a, an email from someone and it's 17 pages long? You've got to keep it tight. You've got to be succinct. People will give you, if you're lucky, 20, 25 seconds to glance at your resume and your LinkedIn. So you, you've got to really keep it short. One of the things I was thinking of while you were talking about being overqualified and all the things people would say, that sounds a lot like ageism. It's like veiled ageism. Like, oh, you've got too much experience for this role. We just need someone who's just starting out. Definitely can be a code word for it. You know, I, I played a game. I, I, I can't remember. Today might be video number 830 or something like that. I might have went 100 videos before I wanted to even say the word ageism because I thought that if I said the word, I'd be giving this devil power that I didn't want to give it. You know, I feel like the the main antidote to ageism is fabulousness. <laughs> but but if it does exist, if it is out there, um, then you've got to just outwork every other candidate. You know, I I I find that the mistake so many people make in cover letters, and I as guilty of this as anyone in the past, people are concentrating on writing all of their greatest hits. And I did this and I did that. And I was this and I was that. The cover letter needs to be more about the company than it does about yourself. If you actually proved that you've done more homework than anyone else, that you've offered without being asked more valuable ideas than anyone else, then maybe in that case, if you're older than the average bear, you're actually proving that you've got value that you're willing to bring to the table from minute one. A lot of people who've got these great ancient careers are just writing their greatest hits. And that's not as important as what the company needs you to do to make cash money in the moment. I have two things. One, one quick one, just to satisfy my curiosity, do you get the left sets letter? Do you get Bob left sets newsletter? <laughs> it's funny that you asked that, you know, I, there have been years where I did. Yep. And then I just felt like I can't commit the time, you know, right, I right. can't commit the time. It's too much, to but, me, but I, I have loved it in the past, you know? I eat a few and I delete a few. I eat a few, I delete a few. I just yeah. curious. I figured yeah. you might go for it. You, you've pitched, um, or I have for a question though. You've you've pitched a lot of shows. You've put a lot of shows on. My damn channel is a work. It is a piece of material. There's all these things you've done. 
where you've understood what it takes to be a showrunner, what it takes to pitch a show. What, what translates into that to bringing someone's career? If Deb Lee shows up and decides she wants the next big VP job, how does she, how does she pitch herself the way she pitches a show? Or is that horrible advice? No, that's great. That's a great point. It's a really great point. You know, you've got to learn to be uh, very psychic in a room when you're pitching. You've got to read the room. You've got to be able to, you know, when you're pitching a show, you go in there with a log line and, you know, you get to look at faces if you're lucky. Remember in the old days when we used to like be together and vaguely, you know, before video. Um, but but even on video, right? I, you've got to read a room and be able to understand whether the content that you're putting out is resonating and getting a response. And and if not, then you need to calibrate. But I'll tell you something, Chris, the thing that we recommend, chapter nine of the book is comically called The Perfect 30-Minute Interview. And there's probably about, I don't know, hopefully 20 or 30 tips in there about how to interview for a job. The best one, if I could just say one, no matter how experienced you are, if you've got a big job interview, you ought to be rehearsing for it like a Broadway play. You, you ought to be calling not just a friend, but, but a friend who knows you professionally and saying, can you do me a favor? I've got this interview Wednesday morning at 10. Can, can we spend about an hour on Tuesday grilling me, getting me ready for this, listening to my answers and calling bullshit? You know, I, I think that the interview... Uh, it, it is really the beginning of whether or not you've even got a shot and people just wing it. I, I think you got to rehearse. So just winging it works for some people um, a little bit better than it does for other people. <laughs> so what do you say to people whose like strength lies in winging it, or at least their perceived strength lies in winging it? How do you convince them to practice a little bit? Well, it all comes back to intention. How how much do you want it, right? I mean, uh, it sounds like, I don't know, are you talking about your co-host over there? You're talking about that guy? What? No. <laughs> you know, By the way, it, he would not work it, for other people. He works for it, himself. It depends so. how much you want it, man. <laughs> if, you, if, if, if you, you know, if you think that going into this interview for a whatever is going to be an important game-changing moment in your life, then winging it may not always produce the greatest results, you know? So you want to look spontaneous, not be spontaneous. There you have it. See, like you said. <laughs> oh, everything is wrong. Um, it's like uh, that Cigarettes and Chocolate Milk by Rufus Wainwright, where he says that everything I like makes is a little bit deadly, a little bit fat or whatever he just, everything he likes is you know the wrong thing but you're an entrepreneur it makes sense well i am i'm an entrepreneur who has one client right now i'm essentially an almost employee so i mean what do i know but um the the whole idea i mean there's this there's this long-standing story i like to use as kind of an example of this is that the reason the beach boys won't get together ever again is that uh, uh there's a fight between brian and the rest of the band where the band just wants to play the hits because what does anyone want to see at the Beach Boys? They want to hear like, you know, uh, good vibrations. They want to hear California Dream. They want to, not California Dream, but the other one. Um, they want to hear all Beach Boys songs, or a few essay. Um, what, what does he want to play is he wants to play all the crazy experimental stuff 
you know, from the last album and stuff that hasn't even been on stage yet. And they're like, no one wants that. So they're never going to get together because that fight's always going to be on. When I listen to you, you're saying, you know, you should be prepped. Um, one question is, and again, the breadth of the material that you've worked on and the fact that you're saying you've got to just have this one thing you say you've done. Um, I want to, I want a cheat code here. I want, I want to know, like, is there, is there a best possible one thing? You know, I mean, obviously if you're trying for a job as a president of a company, you probably want to have highlight all your president of a company things, but is there, is there one thing I want people to think about me more than any other thing I want them to think about me? Can I, can I angle my stuff? See, there's that? a, there's an if Chris, there's a big if that has to start the answer to the biggest question ever. I was only shocked and surprised by one thing when I started as a headhunter. I thought that I'm 61. So I thought that if people had gotten into their late 30s, 40s, and 50s, maybe, maybe they'd had enough nonsense, enough bad actors, enough bad bosses to say, screw it. I'm going to figure out this entrepreneur thing. I thought on day one in my headhunter life that maybe out of the thousands of people that come in the door, maybe there'd be, I don't know, 15% that thought it's time to go out on my own and be my own boss. It's turned out in my little scientific experiment that having talked now to thousands and thousands of job seekers for almost four years, there's this teeny tiny, maybe 1% of the people that are interested in going out there and doing it on their own. Therefore, if you need to get hired in a job working for somebody else, that's where our chapter called the North Star comes into play. That's where they need to know who they're hiring right? What, what is this role? A lot of people call me, I, I had a lady, God, God bless her, as they say in Texas, bless her heart. Friday morning, this woman called me so freaking angry, so hurt, so wrecked. And what was hurting her more than anything is that she knew in her soul that she could be this person. Why can't they see it? Why don't they see it? And the answer, sadly, was that her resume and her LinkedIn was shit. It was just, it was all over the place. It was a little of this, a little of that, a little of a third thing, a little of a fourth thing. And I had to just calmly, calmly try to help her as much as I possibly could to say, hone it. And like you said earlier, Chris, you know, maybe there's still going to be one or two slashes in there for people. Maybe there's, maybe there's a couple of things, you know, but but without that focus, even I'll say one last thing, even your friends, the people who love you the most will have an easier time helping you get a job the minute you tell them what the job is. But if you say, hey, you love me, you know I'm on my ass, you know I'm looking, so just keep me in mind if you hear of anything that's not helpful enough you know, to your no, friends. No. And that sounds like social voodoo. That sounds like what you were getting at in that chapter about, you know, how do you get people, how do you help people help you? 
And I get that all the time. I, I endlessly get an email from someone saying, I'm looking and I'm always thinking, anything? yeah, what, what am I, LinkedIn? You know, no, I don't know anything. Yeah. So that's tricky. Also tricky, I found out, uh, rocking a rhyme. It's <laughs> tricky. No, um, so listen, we are at a spot in the show where we have to do this kind of a thing. Oh, and here's our person of the day. Kaboom! I don't know if we've given it to Leslie lately. Leslie said, I'd much rather a genuine human cover letter than a cookie cutter cover letter. And also, have a great day, Elizabeth. <laughs> Congratulations. We're upset Elizabeth had to go to a morning meeting. Yeah, she keeps somehow prioritizing a meeting over us. I'm not really... I think you should help her uh, find a new job. Hey, <laughs> um, we ask every every guest who's ever been here from Sir Mix-a-Lot to Sister Ann Flanagan to Financial Dominatrix, Mistress Harley, the same question. What goes in your backpack? Now, this is, you know, for success for the next coming years. It could be something physical. It could be something metaphorical. Carrie, what's an example of something physical that Rob could have thrown in the backpack? Mm, extra set of teeth. Mm, that's a pretty good one. Hey, is there any idea of a metaphorical thing that we could add to the backpack? Kindness. Oh, that's that's pretty good too. Hmm. Rob Barnett, what would you add to the backpack, either physical or metaphorical, to give people some success? How are they going to close out like a pro? What are we going to add to this thing? I've got two. I have two. Um, you know, one is physical. It's real. It's that thing in my life when I'm extra, extra sad and I just need that ounce of little kid happy it's pop tarts they gotta be in there they gotta be in there that's that's my happy med what Which flavor? flavor what flavor <laughs> um the flavor is either plain plain strawberry not frosted none of that crap on top or if there is crap on top then you know the 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 cinnamon you know the cinnamon you know, those are the what? two, but, but my metaphoric is not the actual compass. It's a metaphoric compass that's, that's headed to that place. That's North, you know, it's gotta be North. The, um, I write in chapter four, there's two crazy things that happen in chapter four. One is Bob Dylan actually gave us permission to give you a piece of wisdom that's in chapter four. And chapter four starts out with George Harrison, who spent a day with us at VH1 wow. and uh, played a song that he was only working on that day. It didn't come out till years after he passed. But the song was called Any Road. And the line was, if you don't know where you're going, any road will take you there. And I just love that man. I love him. I love him. I love him. Mm. So let's head north. <laughs> I love him because he gave Monty Python uh, some some financing when they needed it very badly and really kept he them did. alive and well in Britain. Isn't that a great story? <laughs> he I'm did. eating a strawberry Pop-Tart right now for Trader Joe's. <laughs> <laughs> That's crazy timing. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. Um, I was very fortunate. My dad was a radio DJ uh, growing up, and my mom was, too. So that's how they met. We're radio wow. DJ. My first boyfriend was that? a DJ. Yeah. Wow. So yeah, I was my, that um, cool. <laughs> wow. My mom was the uh, sultry nighttime listener request line woman, and my dad was the nerdy morning news guy. Um, but he also had an opinion that the Ventures were going to be better than the Beatles, and we'd all be Ventures fans. But... <laughs> You know, I would say that probably his uh, his biggest um, prediction and the way it turned out was 